0: Hi, and welcome to Profits and Loopholes. I'm here with Nate, and we're here to talk about why we keep tax records. We get this question asked to us a lot, Nate, about what records should we keep? Why do I need to keep them? How long should I keep them? And so I'm hoping today we can have a discussion about uh, these concerns that our taxpayers often bring to to our desk.
1: Yeah, I love it. It is a common question, like you said. Really, from our perspective, the, the primary reason we, we keep records is in the event that we have an audit or there's a question about a tax return, right? We refer back to those, those records in order to defend a taxpayer in an audit um, or, or to substantiate a position we took on a tax return. You know, there's other reasons outside of our tax world, though, that we keep records. You know, a lot of probably the most common one that I see outside of the, the tax perspective is, is like a banker. when you're refinancing the house or buying a house you know those bankers want to see a lot of these source documents you know w-2s not just the tax return but these these records that we're trying to maintain so so from our tax world we really are are looking to maintain these records in the event that an irs or or a state agency wants to look at them and have some more information or has some questions
0: yeah and and that's actually really important especially with regards to loans and refinancing Uh, loans because i've with personal experience, have have seen underwriters go to great lengths and great depths to confirm and verify those tax returns with the, what the Internal Revenue Service has on file, mm-hmm. and what those source documents have, and uh, you know it can create complications if a taxpayer doesn't have those documents available or delays the loan process. Right, right,
1: right. Well, yeah. So, Paul, maybe we should get into a little bit about what exactly I, we're mentioning these tax forms like W twos that. We're typically looking for, but there's other kinds of records too that we keep.
0: Uh, it's a good question. You know, interestingly enough, the this, the the law is written doesn't require a certain type of document to be retained. So everything that's that we're going to talk about today is more uh, suggestions and guidelines, and you know, definitely always reach out to your professional to, to get their take on what should be retained. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the statute of limitations and these different time periods uh, that we need to retain these records. You mentioned about the ability to defend a position on a tax return. And that's really the, the main purpose why we retain records for any period that extended beyond the current tax year. So, Nate, let's talk about the, this idea of what we call the statute of limitations.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, the statute of limitations is this period of time that begins with the later of the due date for filing a tax return, or the date we actually file that tax return if it is after the due date. And it's a three year period that exists where the Internal Revenue Service has the legal authority to change, alter, assess additional tax Mm -hmm. against us. And so sometimes those uh, come in the form of a notice Actually, almost always, they come in the form of a notice, but they can be a, one of those gut-wrenching experiences where your heart kind of drops down to the to the, the lower gut, or <laughs> in
1: the, the mailbox. Yeah,
0: yeah. We like to call them nasty grams. Stress you out. But uh, they they'll typically ask for uh, additional information. They might be asking to suggest a change to what was already reported on a tax return. I might see this often where uh, a tax return is prepared and the taxpayer doesn't present a W-2. Uh, maybe they left employment early in the year in January, they get a W-2 submitted, but maybe an address has changed, or it just doesn't get to the client. Yeah, no, they had it. Yeah, and they forget about it, and so we file a tax return not even aware that uh, it is out there. And then, of course, the Social Security Administration talks to the IRS, and the IRS tells the taxpayer, hey, you forgot this W-2, we think you owe us more tax. Yeah.
1: Well, in this three-year window, usually I, I advise a client to keep it a little bit longer than that, that three-year window. Just because there's a lot of different other circumstances, they're much more rare. I mean, if, you, if the IRS suspects fraud or, you know, these kind of little bit more nuanced situations where the IRS has a little bit longer to be able to question a tax return, and so the, it is a good idea, plus the outside concerns too, right? The, like we talked about with bankers and things like that. Mm-hmm. You're wanting more than three years' worth of records. You know, Three years old worth of records. Um, so there are maybe some select instances where it, it probably is wise to save things longer than the three years, though, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, and I'll just touch on two of those that you mentioned, the first one being this idea that uh, when we take a position on a tax return and we, we file, we're telling the Internal Revenue Service what our income was, what our deductions are, we compute adjusted gross income, taxable income, and then essentially a tax liability, and we, we net it out against our, our withholdings from W 2s or any estimated tax payments to come up with a net tax liability that's due or a net refund. Often people call that their tax return. It's really a refund of tax that's been overpaid. There are certain uh, instances on a tax return where we have to report income that we might misstate or we might misstate uh, basis that might be off on, on a disposition of a stock or some other transaction like selling our home. That statute of limitations that is traditionally three years will extend to six years if we misstate our income by more than 25%. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we decide that we're one of those types of taxpayers that enjoys filing fraudulent tax returns, <laughs> which I can claim I've never had a, a client file a fraudulent tax return, but if someone does... Yeah, we're not your guys if that's you. <laughs> it's probably not a good fit. <laughs> but if somebody does, th- there is no statute of limitations. So the IRS has this, this unleashed or unbridled ability or, or authority to locate an assess tax for any given year past uh in in the past that is also true if you simply never file a tax return the irs can have unlimited authority to assess tax 10 12 15 years after the fact right
1: so your short answer paul somebody says how long do i have to keep these records what are you telling them
0: i would generally say
1: seven years i'm the same i do the same thing yeah
0: it's one of those it's kind of an approach that's better to be safe than sorry but at the same time, um, you know, there's no, there's no harm in keeping seven years. Right. So,
1: yeah. And we're talking about W-2s, 1099s, K-1s. You know, when we get into this business stuff, you know, those records become a lot more detailed, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot more to keep. You want to keep the bank statements and the credit card statements that have business transactions. Should be saving some receipts. I mean, I could see an auditor coming in and saying, hey, what are you buying at Walmart or, or wherever? Making sure that we have those things covered. What else do you think we should deductions? You know, charitable deductions? Yeah, applied? really
0: any document that's gonna support any type of income or deduction on a tax return. So, you know, if you like you mentioned charitable contribution deductions, yeah. there's definitely a, a legal requirement to obtain a receipt from the qualified charitable organization to support the deduction on our mm-hmm. individual tax returns. For businesses, you know, def there's definitely more and more transactions are being performed through a financial institution mm-hmm. whether it's a bank on a debit card or you know a credit card company with with uh, various credit cards that there tends to be a, a a history and these statements that are showing all the transactional information mm-hmm. so while it's still important to look at, to save receipts me personally, when I get a receipt, I stick it in a folder and I never look at it again unless I absolutely have to. But copies of canceled checks might be something that a business is writing regularly and would want to retain. Uh, copies of invoices, copies of customer payments. I know that's one thing we retain is we retain those checks uh, that a customer pays us and we we keep them in a safe. Uh, and, and we also have digital copies of those checks.
1: hmm Yeah, so the audits I've been a part of, you know, usually the auditor is looking to verify income, right? And so that's the reason why we save canceled checks, you know, these payments from customers, uh, bank statements. Also, when they audit, like, expenses, you know, Mm -hmm. I I do find that most auditors look at that bank statement and they usually rely on it. Like, if we had a contractor that's buying lumber, you know, that's a very obvious expense for a, a contractor. And, and the auditor will take that as sufficient evidence. I think the only time they really get into those folders where we're hiding all these receipts is when maybe there's some ambiguity about yeah. what we're pro- buying that's business related there.
0: Nate, I often get this question as it relates to what's called listed property. It's a common term among professionals and preparers, but it's not necessarily as well known with, with our clients. And listed property is specifically designated as such, and it generally is property that requires specific substantiation. Where most of our clients, I think, uh, have a relationship with listed property is with business use of their automobiles. Hmm. And so I get a lot of questions around this idea of, okay, what's required uh, with regards to my business mileage? I know I can deduct it. I know what the standard mileage rate is. Mm And they often know that I ha- they have a choice, right? They can choose when they first get a vehicle whether to take the standard mileage rate deduction or to, to calculate and deduct the actual expenses. So, Nate, tell us a little bit about your experience and, and how you would advise a client
1: in terms of record retention related to business miles. Yeah, business miles, you got to have a mileage log. And I've had this out You know, the auditor requests, they want to see the actual mileage log. Where, you know, for us, it was in an Excel you know, the taxpayer kept it in an Excel, and so we were able to just print that out and send it in. Uh, but any, any sort of written record of a mileage log, we, what we need to be able to identify is, is what date you drove the vehicle for business purposes, how far we're going, what we did, and, and be able to itemize that out, and that's a, that's a crucial detail that a lot of business owners miss. You know, in our world with technology, we, there's apps that we can download that will help us track those. It's kind of a swipe left or a swipe right sort of an idea. Kind of helps, helps us establish those miles a little bit easier. But yet we have to have that mileage lock.
0: Yeah, there's, I, most often when I see a case where a taxpayer has taken a deduction for business mileage, but maybe doesn't have the substantiation, uh, and the IRS has questioned it, you know, they'll they'll rely heavily it's an on this easy question, right? It's yeah. It's an easy
1: ask for the IRS.
0: And they'll they'll rely on this idea of whether or not the documentation submitted was contemporaneous or non contemporaneous. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. It's kind of a fancy word, but basically uh, the IRS is trying to determine if the records that were submitted to support the deduction were created in a timely manner or possibly created. At the time that the, of the audit, audit was audit, yeah, in was disclosed to the, to the taxpayer, yeah. so how do you how do you work with clients to help them understand the importance of of record searches because it can be kind of tedious. It really with regards is. to this audit. Nobody
1: likes to do it. Let's be honest. It's just an education sort of a thing. I, at our firm, I think we do a good job of, of helping maintain those records for them. You know, as we prepare this tax return, we, we're requesting most of these records and we, we retain a copy, of, an electronic copy, of everything that's submitted to us. We've got great platforms and technology that, that allows us to store that both for our benefit so that we know why we did what we did on a tax return but also for a client. You know if a client got into any sort of trouble you know obviously they should be maintaining their records too but, but we can store their, their records and receipts or, or tax documents in our systems.
0: Yeah. And we do that uh, for for every client that we work with, whether we're working with them face to face or virtually. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got clients uh, across the country in California to Miami, Florida, where, you know, face to face is just not uh, reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've got this we've got this web based platform that that our clients have a client portal. Uh, It's interactive so we can interact in live time with our clients to submit documentation to make requests for documentation. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can view current year and prior year documents. what they've
1: uploaded, Mm -hmm. yeah. Use the app to take pictures of what they've got. Send it to us. Yeah, so that's my favorite part of our our system that we use is this app. It it just makes it so easy to interact with us just on their phone, right? You get that W2 in the mail, you know, no more sticking that in the folder. Let's just upload that right to Paul right now, right? You take a picture of it on the kitchen table and send it on its way.
0: Yeah, I can see a lot of convenience, both for preparer and for client, because you know, it kind of makes the old requirement or belief that I have to meet face-to-face with my CPA mm-hmm. uh, in order to do my taxes, it kind of dispels that, and it actually makes it a much more efficient and convenient process for everyone involved,
1: Yeah,
0: right? So we have, I mean, I love that you mentioned the mobile app, we have clients that use that quite regularly, and you know, when we talked about at the beginning why we keep our documentation uh, electronically or why we keep it for loans that mobile app has come in very convenient for our clients because they can be meeting with their loan officer and they have instant access to the yeah, source right the documents yeah. copies of the tax returns for the
1: current year and prior years that they can just immediately right text there. or yeah.
0: email to their loan officer yeah
1: so convenient Always a great conversation with you, Paul. I think we covered a lot of good information here. Love to interact with you via our app or our website. Please reach out to us as you have additional questions or if you want us to talk about something else, let us know.